the Bible has just came to life. You feel the presence of God, but you also hear the presence of God. On the ground, there's so many stories that I can share with you. The impact that pastors had on me. Obviously, the Bible is this ancient text. I got sucked into the Bible now, and I'm about to play my role. Welcome to Passages Voice. Short interviews from the many voices of Passages. From the ones that make the magic happen behind the scenes, to the real heroes of our program, our alumni. Hey friends and family of Passages, I'm Luke Agassi, the Associate Director of Leadership Development, and I'm here with Juliana Tamarazi, an Assyrian Christian born and raised in Iran. She is the founder and president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, an organization that raises awareness about the persecuted church in Iraq and helps Assyrian refugees resettle in the United States. Juliana, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Luke? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. We're going to have a brief conversation with hopes that you, our community, can walk away edified and informed. So, Juliana, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're involved with uh, in a little bit more detail here. Um, so, as you just mentioned, um, I founded the Iraqi Christian Relief Council in 2007 because I noticed that there was a real gap uh, in the media that um, really left the Iraqi Christian plight in the cold. They would not talk about the persecution of, the, of theirs. They would not talk about how many churches and how many people have become devastated. So um, after meeting the Cardinal of Chicago, Cardinal George, who's passed on since, um, I asked what is the Vatican's plan for the persecuted church in Iraq, and he invited me to the meeting. I, uh, they, invited, they encouraged me to start this ministry. And since 2007, we have been traveling the globe, raising awareness, raising funds, and delivering them for food, shelter, medicine, clean water, um, anything that they may need on the ground in Iraq. But in 2014, we expanded from only working in Iraq and the U.S. As you said, we also helped them settle in the U.S. Mm. Uh, we expanded into uh, Jordan, Lebanon, some in Syria, and also Turkey to help those who had fled Iraq uh, after ISIS. Amazing. Uh, with that being said, let's rewind a little bit for you here. Let's talk about your formative years uh, a little bit. Where did you grow up uh, and how did your formative years growing up shape you and kind of drive you to where you are today? So uh, I was born and raised in Tehran. I was six years old when uh, the revolution happened, the Islamic Republic revolution happened and our lives changed. Uh, we faced a completely different reality. Mm -hmm. um, my siblings, if you talk to my siblings, they will say, oh, Iran was fantastic and Iran was great. Of course, because they were respected, they had religious freedom, they, had, they were dignified people as Christians that lived under the Shah of Iran. Sure. For me, it became quite different. Uh, for example, when I would walk down the street as a, an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old, uh, Muslim neighbors, the boys would spit on the floor, on the ground mm. when I would walk by. Or at school from time to time, the classmates or sometimes even the teachers would try to force me the verse from the Quran that automatically converts one to, into Islam. Or I would find myself defeat, uh, defending the Holy Spirit or the Holy Trinity rather uh, to my teachers that were telling me that I was um, I was an infidel, that I would I was committing blasphemy to talk when I was talking about the Trinity, and it would throw me out of class. <laughs> and uh, finally, my father decided to take me 
to out of the country because he said this country is no longer your home country. You do not stand a chance of progress or prosperity in this country. You are being treated as third or fourth class citizen here. Yeah. So they smuggled me out. They smuggled me out first into Germany, then uh, first into Switzerland, then into Germany. Um, I say it so easily, Luke. I say, <laughs> yeah, they smuggled me out. But literally, I'll tell you, we sold everything on my 16th birthday. On my 16th birthday, we turned in the key to my to my childhood home, and I always compare how joyous the 16th uh, birthday is for the kids in the West, especially in America. For me, it was filled with tears because I we turned in the key to the realtor. We lived uh, with uh, with uh, um, relatives for three months, then six months in a very small hotel room, three of us, my parents and I, out of three suitcases. Why? Because the the smuggler had said to us, you cannot, you will not have time to sell your things, your belongings, and say goodbye to anyone. You would, the moment I say you go, you have to go in hiding. Um, the first set of smugglers uh, said they're going to put me in real sheep clothing, in sheep clothing next to, put me next to animals, ship me over two deserts of Iran into India and fly me from India into to, uh, Germany where my brother was. We said no. The second smuggler said, I'm going to marry her. She's 16 years old. Uh, I'll convert, it to, convert her to Islam. Uh, and then I'll fly her to, um, to Germany. And my father said no. And mm. finally, after a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, I'll never forget, it was Easter time in, 2000, in 1989 when my great aunt called me and said, I have a gift for you. And the gift was a smuggler that finally came through who helped me be smuggled into Switzerland. Wow. wow. So basically, let me tell you this. I lived as a displaced person inside my, my home native country. Sure. Uh, I went through the refugee process for one year. And I came to a country where, with a different culture. And I uh, educated myself. I earned my master's degree. Um, and so I understand. I'll, I'll never tell you, Luke, that I was persecuted because mm. of what... People are going through the middle in the Middle East or North Korea or Iran. Uh, those who are converting to Christianity from Islam, they face the real persecution. In my case, it was harassment, but it was still hard. I was a child mm. that I was told I was I would burn in hell for my Juliana name because it was a Catholic name. Sure. Um, so, therefore, me being an Assyrian, me um, and you, you yourself as well, we yes. both our families, ancestors have been affected by by persecution. So, uh, and me living as a refugee, me living as a displaced person, um, I feel that the Lord has called me to uh, set aside everything that I've ever known and dedicate my life and become a servant to him and to the Assyrian nation. That's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much, Juliana. So with that being said, you've dedicated your life to this work. Uh, I, I've seen it personally how it just permeates every aspect of your being and how it gives you a lot of life and sometimes it can be pretty stressful. What's a story from your line of work um, that really defines what you do and why? Um, oh my gosh, there's so many stories of mm. so many miracles that I have uh, experienced through this ministry, through, through this work. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one stateside and I'll tell you one in Iraq. Um, I'll never forget when we were presenting in Southern Florida. Uh, after my, my board members and I presented, uh, 
there the pastor asked for the women in the congregation in the church in the parish to come around and pray over me and over my board members and they came in two of them knelt in front of me and in front of one of my board members and next thing i felt were was water wetness their tears were falling on my feet mm-hmm. and i was shocked at the purity of in that lives in the hearts and minds of real christians in america who answered the call who stood by us so that was such an evidence of what saint paul always asked us to to be like to care for the pers- to care for the members of the body Absolutely. and she those two women were hurting because their eastern brothers and sisters were hurting mm-hmm. i'll never forget that uh the other on the ground i can I, there's so many stories that i can share with you but one that stands out is um a little girl uh who uh had was unable to uh, who lost her hearing and this was in iraq this was in iraq okay. and who lost her hearing and uh, they contacted me they said there is this child who's suffering greatly she she uh doesn't have the money for hearing aids can you help so we provided these sets of hearing aids and she has excelled since mm-hmm. she is the number one in her school she's excellent in math she has come out of her shell if you will yeah. um her father was crying telling me on this last trip when i was there 2 weeks ago telling me how what a difference that those two merely those two thousand dollars that are really nothing in the US for many people mm-hmm. this changed this child's life and it's going to change generationally because she is learning she's earning the education and she's going to pass it on to her kids so so i always tell my donors and my supporters don't think that you're helping let's say if you're feeding somebody if you're feeding a family don't think that you're feeding that family and that's it that's the end of it i promise you that you are changing these people's lives generationally and you don't know this child uh whom we helped um how she's go- when she grows up how she's going to serve the lord yeah. so all of us together will be able to really make a difference if we stand together to help these people that's excellent and uh juliana as we head back into the uh the conference here um since we're at the Philos Young Leaders Conference in Houston, uh, I want to ask you one more thing just for our listeners. What do we need to know about the work that you're doing and how can we stay informed? How can we help we the listeners? So, um knowing the truth on the ground and knowing what you're advocating for is extremely important. Mm-hmm. If you start advocating for the wrong thing, they told me this morning literally from Alcosh they called me they said we know you're going to go do this uh, attend this conference please tell them that if you're going to advocate for the wrong cause for the wrong elements of this cause please don't advocate because it is actually harming us so um so educating yourselves through staying in, by staying in touch with the Philos project page um talking to us by the Iraqi Christian Relief Councils page um and re- really learning the truth from uh, credible sources is extremely important. Yes. And how do you know who's credible who's not is just by engaging with us. Talk to us. I'm reachable via text messaging, not so much email. I'm awful with email, <laughs> but call me, text me and any other s- staff members 
on passages as well as Philos. Yes. Uh, you yourself, Luke, you're an Assyrian, you're connected to the community. They can reach out to you. That's right. So the key is for you to uh, know what's happening, um, what the realities are on the ground. And there are, there's so much you can do here. Mm-hmm. You can become ambassadors for us in your schools, in your churches. Uh, you can uh, advocate by contacting your state reps saying, look, what is happening to the persecuted church? And I'll tell your listeners this, Luke. We were told that our people, the Assyrians of Iraq, who are also known as Chaldeans and Syriacs, are dispensable people, mm-hmm. and they're not strategically important to the U.S. interest or European political interest. Yeah. That is very difficult for me to bear. Mm-hmm. I've lived with that reality since 2015, since November of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I've tirelessly tried to tell my, my community in Iraq and in the, in the diaspora, um, we, need to beco- we need to find ways of becoming strategically important mm-hmm. to the West. Mm-hmm. So what you can do, you listeners, what you can do is reach out to your members of the House and Senate, your state reps, and say, the people of Iraq, we have morally obligations to them. Um, and just because they're not large in numbers, today we have about 200,000 left in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Just because of that, that doesn't mean these people don't have the right to exist on their own land. Absolutely. Well, Juliana, thank you so, so much for giving us a glimpse into your story, into your passion, into your advocacy for your people, for my people as well. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to just uh, give a thank you to all of you listening in. I hope this brings you a little bit closer to the heartbeat of the Middle East. Uh, Juliana, do you have any closing remarks before we get going here? Um, the only thing I would say is knowledge bears responsibility. There is no excuse when we are made aware of such atrocities. Really, there is no excuse that we have that uh, we would turn a blind eye. Mm -hmm. And I promise you that we as Christians believe that at some time, at some point, we're going to stand in judgment. Um, And the Lord will ask you, where where is your brother? Don't turn to him and say, am I my brother's keeper? Mm -hmm. You are your brother's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. So uh, if we truly believe in the Lord and in the gospel and in our faith, and if we truly are humans, even on the human level, my friends, the suffering is immense on the ground in Iraq. The suffering is immense in Turkey and Jordan and Lebanon. Let us help relieve some of the suffering because the Lord will bless you, I promise you, 10 times over, 100 times over. Juliana, thank you again. And listeners, stay tuned for more. We'll be back. For more exclusive updates from Passages on the Ground all summer long, visit passagesisrael.org backslash subscribe to Pulse. Thanks for listening.